Welcome to the Daily Theology Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Oki. Yes, it's the very end of February, and I know you've been wondering where your favorite theological interviews were. Well, here is my conversation with Katie Grimes of Villanova University. In this episode, we talk about how her two years of volunteering with Amate House in Chicago led her to change career plans from law school to theology. We talk about her work on race and white supremacy and how she understands popular culture as a locus for theology. So in that context, we talk a little bit about how she describes Tupac Shakur as her favorite theologian. She also talks about theological blogging and the gifts that she's received from writing for womenintheology.org. We will be back in a few weeks with our next episode. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the podcast and make these interviews possible, head over to patreon.com slash dtpodcast. And thanks, as always, for listening. Today for the Daily Theology Podcast, I'm speaking with Katie Grimes, who's an assistant professor of theological ethics at Villanova University. Katie, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I like to begin by asking, how did you get into theology? What was the, I don't know, the, the path or the the way in which, you know, th- theology became your your interest, your focus? Sure. That's an interesting question. I sometimes find myself asking that same question. How did I get here? But <laughs> I mean, from one perspective, it's totally surprising that I'm here because I never consciously imagined doing, you know, either being a quote unquote theologian or being a professor. But then, you know, of course, if I look back at my life, it's like, oh, yeah, duh. You know, it was I was kind of heading that direction all along. So I don't know. I mean, I, um, I grew up Catholic, you know, in a pretty Catholic family. I, I went to like Catholic grade school, I went to public high school, which I think was like a really cool um, experience. I went to a Catholic college, uh, I went to Notre Dame, and actually, it's funny because I, I ended up majoring in philosophy. My whole, pretty much my mm. whole growing up adolescence, I, I thought I, I wanted to be like, you know, a criminal defense attorney, like I wanted to be a lawyer, you know, I like Clarence Darrow, who did like, you know, he was this lawyer from like, I don't know, the 20s and 30s and 40s that I kind of like, oh, that's, you know, who I want to be anyways. Mm. And it's funny when I was actually at Notre Dame, because Notre Dame, of course, has like a huge theology department, you know, and and I self-con, I very consciously was like, I'm not quote unquote, those people like my, my image of myself, <laughs> you know, not, not, not even just like pejoratively, but just like my image of who I was and my image mm. of who the quote unquote theology major was, I just, I just did not, it was almost like, I just did not think I fit in with them. I mean, it's, I, I don't even know why it was just, hmm. even though the theology classes I took at Notre Dame, I really enjoyed actually. So it's just funny. So I majored in philosophy, thought I was going to go to law school, like I, theology, you know, yeah, I, go for I it. Ask, go. Like what, yeah. what was it that made you want to be that lawyer? Like, Oh, the lawyer. Oh, God. Yeah, I don't know. That's so that's another good. I mean, similar, some similar things, I think, that brought me here. I mean, I I definitely I don't know, you know, I had a sense that there were certain people in society that like weren't getting a fair shake or, Mm -hmm. you know, I think I saw I think I saw law as a way to, I don't know, stand up for people or to do the right thing or to make a positive change. I don't know. I people, you know, my brother and sister and my mom would say I also could like argue and get paid for it, you know, and like kind of (laughs) rabble rouse, I guess that way, too. So, I mean, it wasn't all, you know, noble intentions or whatever, but, you know, yeah, I think, so I think that's just it. I think just my understanding of the world, you know, there was like, you could be an attorney for the NAACP or for, you know, there it was, it was like a structure of, it was like a, a way of life that I, I, I thought was, I don't know, possible that I knew about. I mean, I have a bunch of attorneys in my family. They don't necessarily do criminal defense, but I'm sure that was also part of it. Was the, um, so was, was the sort of like justice, do-gooder impetus, was that... 
consistent with your family? Were you the black sheep? Like, was it? It's interesting. So that's an interesting question. I, I'm thinking about the answer to that question because something I think about a lot, but I don't know that I've ever put together a coherent answer. It's interesting. I think I think both my desire to be an attorney and what I'm doing now are very much consistent with, in a sense, who my family has been. But it's, of mm-hmm. course, my interpretation of that. Hmm. Uh, if that makes sense. I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't want to like put people on blast that, you know, but I, you know, I have a, I have a, I have a cousin, you know, I have a cousin who, well, I don't, I, I just, I sometimes think about this cousin uh, and I think about how we we're both our, our shared grandparents. Uh, we both are kind of, I think living, living them out in our own lives, but different indifferently, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and our, our kind of, in, and, and not that we're like opposed people or anything, you know, I'm not like, yeah. you know, setting, setting us up as like a, as opposites or anything like that. But, and I think you could say both of our interpretations are equally valid of them. Mm. You know, if that makes sense, I mean, I don't want to mm. go into too much detail just because it's, you know, sure, this sure. person is not. So, I mean, you know, like my, like my grandpa and my three uncles on my mom's side were attorneys. My mm. dad was an attorney. And I think now they, they do, they do different stuff. They, they don't do, um, I think they did more like commercial business law stuff, but I think certainly like my kind of, especially when I was little kind of like, things I saw in my dad that I thought were like his, his good qualities. I think in a certain way, I thought that, I, I don't know. So in a certain way, yeah, it was like my interpretation mm-hmm. of, of him and, you know, even though he doesn't even practice law anymore. So yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> um, and then, you know, and then on, on my dad's side, you know, I mean, like, of course, these are family stories. I don't know if they're true. You know, if you go back generations, they were coal miners and supposedly they were some of the first people to like start a union and, you know, mm. so, you know, you, you know how you, you know, you hear these stories of ancestors and, Sometimes they're true. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes you romanticize them and you, you know, you assemble them in your own thing. But, you know, but at the same time, especially since like my work now, even when I wanted to be an attorney, deals a lot with like racism, white supremacy. Of course, Mm -hmm. all my ancestors, as far as I know, are white. And so, you know, they're, they're like myself where, you know, I certainly have that legacy of white supremacy, you know, of being Mm -hmm. perpetuating things or just structurally, you know, benefiting from certain things. So, I mean, you know, you, you could, I mean, you could interpret I guess that question of, I don't know. I I think I am, but at the same time, you know, it's like, it's my interpretation at the same yeah. time. Sometimes my interpretation is like an innovation or, you know, it's an improv- improvisation on who they were, you know? Yeah. I if like, that makes sense. I like the image of, of, of living your life as an interpretation of what you've received. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. like, it's not, it's not identical. It's clearly rooted, but you are, you know, you're putting it like you're bringing your own experience and context into it, but it's, like it's not it's not separate from, but it's not identical to. Like I like that image a lot. Yeah, and, and maybe for better or for worse. I yeah. mean, I guess this depends on your opinion. That, that kind of it's a way I've come to think about like the Catholic tradition too. It's like mm-hmm. sometimes I, you know, like I love I love Thomas Aquinas, but you know, and this of course would be impossible because he was from a completely different time period and culture. Do I agree with him on everything? No, but a lot of times I feel like I'm disagreeing with him like in a Thomistic way. If that makes sense, yeah. you know. So that's kind of maybe a parallel of how I think about yeah, yeah. the tradition too. Yeah it's, yeah, it's something at times like part of how I sometimes introduce the Christian tradition or the Catholic tradition to students because I, you know, some of them are concerned that it's a conversion class or something. Oh, right, right. <laughs> so I tell them it's like, just, you know, if you're if you're already in the tribe, that's great. Mm-hmm. If you're not in the tribe, that's great too. Mm-hmm. But think about it as like, this. this is something to think with. Yeah, um, like this is a conversation partner. You're gonna like some of it. You're not gonna like some of it, but just take it seriously, and you might learn something from it. So yeah, totally. I like that. No, yeah, exactly. So yeah. So you became a philosophy major on your <laughs> right. intended way to law school. Yes. 
And then I guess senior year of college, you know, I was being a typical senior year <laughs> person. I'll say, I'll just say that, you know, especially that second semester, it was just, you know, really, you know, intensified. And I just, I don't know, I think I was feeling like a sense of, I don't know, discontent or lethargy. And one thing that was really good about Notre Dame is they, ha- they have a pretty like good infrastructure for like service programs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, service programs aren't perfect, but so, you know, that kind of was already like built into kind of my experience at Notre Dame. And I just kind of like one night, I like remember, you know, crawling down off my loft, you know, because I lived in a dorm, you know, and I just looked up on um, my uh, campus website uh, of service programs. And it was like near the end of the semester. I don't know when exactly. Maybe it was even like April or something. And I found one that as uh, a post-grad year-long service program, volunteer program that intrigued me. I found a couple of them. I applied to them. Like I graduated. I mean, by this time I had applied to law schools. I'd heard back, I, you know, gotten in, gotten rejected, got waitlisted, you know, the whole thing mm-hmm. applied to these service programs. I graduated. I don't think I'd even heard back from all of them. Oh yeah. It must've been before Easter. Cause I went home for Easter break and told my mom this new abrupt plan. And she was a little <laughs> concerned because <laughs> it was so, just cause it was like out of nowhere, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was just, Anyways, so I ended up go- doing a program called Amate House, which is, um, it's like, I forget the specifics now. It's like through the Archdiocese of Chicago, but it's like financially independent from mm-hmm. them or the other way around, I forget. Uh, and I ended up something I, again, never in my, I, again, I entered this program wanting to do, because they have different service placements, like depending on, you know, each person can do something different. You live in community, but each person has a different uh, place they volunteer at. I thought I would work at like this legal aid clinic. Right. And mm. then and then the next year go to law school. Right. So just defer mm-hmm. law school. And I ended up like how this even happened. I ended up reading the descriptions of the different workplaces and I ended up teaching high school at all girls Catholic high school, which, again, <laughs> never in my which again. But your question about family, it's also funny that I ended up doing that. I never once ever thought of teaching at any level. My mom, my aunt and now my cousins are teachers. Right. At, at, primary and secondary school teachers. So, I mean, that that's funny too, you know, that uh, yeah. I ended up doing that. Again, something I think I probably like subconsciously was like, I respect my mom and everything, but I never was like, oh, I want to, you know, I'm going to do what she does. You know, I think I kind of always, I don't know, saw myself taking, taking a different professional path. Anyway, so I taught high school there for two years. It was really like incredible place, special, and it just totally changed me, I think, because I, I taught religion. Um, also, the kind of like communal reflection we were doing in my volunteer program Mm -hmm. there were theologians from a catholic theological union in chicago that would come and give us talks i think i just started seeing theology like totally differently at least at a conscious level and i found myself thinking that i wanted to continue thinking about these kind of you know the experiences i had there you know i I lived i lived in a mexican-american neighborhood which was near you know chicago's predominantly black south side I mean, I just saw like the racial segregation in Chicago is just, I mean, you literally cross the street and you go from a white neighborhood to a black neighborhood, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just very stark. So I I think I just wanted to keep, I I know, I think I, the kind of problems or issues that I thought I wanted to to address as an attorney, I think I just started becoming very fascinated by thinking about them theologically. Went and got my master's degree and then, you know, went on to, I I, I guess it was there, my master's degree that I, I realized I could think about racism theologically too, you know, just everything kind of fell together and was lucky enough to get into a PhD program and lucky enough to get a job. So, you know, I just, just, <laughs> just kept going. Nobody, you know, nobody stopped me. So I just kept going, you know, so. It's <laughs> a good way to think about it. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the long winded account, but yeah, that's just kind yeah, of, yeah. yeah uh, so, so you did a Mate house and so you did two years at a Mate house. I did. Yeah. It's, it's a one year program, but I, 
stuck, stuck around, around for a second. Yeah. And and then went back to Notre Dame. Was it in a was it strange yeah. going back to Notre Dame after that? Yeah, well it was totally different. I mean, I feel like being an undergrad at Notre Dame, and this is probably true of anywhere, being an undergrad mm-hmm. at Notre Dame and being a grad student, very different experiences. I mean, you know, it was fun. I still got to go to the football games, you know, I grew up a huge Notre Dame football fan. Mm-hmm a curse really truly that's a curse but it was different yeah it was it was it was different yeah i don't know if you want to more specific if there's like so many different ways that it's different i don't know you want to say about it yeah I, I'm, I, mean, I guess i'm just kind of curious i i had a lot of friends who did a mate house because mm-hmm. when i was and i was a master student in chicago at the time and so like i think i think i just missed you in a certain sense oh yeah because uh, mm-hmm. you were in the south house right i was actually in the little village house yeah. Yeah, but the South House, I mean, that was like the main, I mean, oh, I was okay. over there all the time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, it was interesting to me because some of my friends who did them at their house, like, then went into, it was it was a real adjustment in a certain sense going back to, like, academics. Oh, right, from that yeah. perspective. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And Yeah. No, to- I mean, totally. And, I mean, it, I mean, it, it's, it, it was just such a different, cognitively or intellectually, like, I, I think I kind of maybe had, like, an above-average awareness for a white person that, mm-hmm. you know, racism existed and it was bad. But, you know, living in a place and, and you know, getting to know my students and hearing their stories, you know, I had students who were themselves immigrants, you know, parents were immigrants, students who were undocumented, you know, I have, uh, my African-American students, you know, all the different things they went through, seeing the way the police acted in, in the neighborhoods that, you know, I was around which they, you know, I'd never seen before. Even something just thinking about, which is one of the great things about my time at Notre Dame. Again, I said it's I was very consciously like rejecting the theology major, but path. But at the same time, I loved. You know, there's, I mean, you could have a daily. I mean, every every dorm had a chapel, mm-hmm. and I think most dorms had they at least had weekly Sunday mass in your dorm, if not daily mass. You know, there was classroom buildings that had daily. You know, so I, I got into that at Notre Dame, going to mass. You know, different types of masses and, and everything. Uh, versus, you know, my the high school I taught at in Chicago, we it, you know it was, it was a parish high school, or, and so there was a grade school, a parish, and a high school, one parish priest for this entire you know mm-hmm. huge. I, I don't even remember. I used to know the figure of how many people, but a very very large number of people that this man was serving. We were lucky if we could get if we could have a school mass, you know, twice a semester because hmm. this poor man, you know, not to it's nothing against him. This poor man you know, just literally did not have the time. And I certainly remember my Catholic grade school I went to in, or yeah, the, the Catholic school I went to in grade school, we had school mass once a week, you know, it was no big deal. So even just thinking about that, that kind of like sacramental access, you know, that like at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. it's like throw, throw a rock in, in a mass is, you know, like <laughs> everywhere you turn, there's like a mass happening somewhere. You don't even have to leave your dorm, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then here, you know, some of my students, like we couldn't even necessarily, you know, if they, especially some of them, their, you know, their families didn't go to mass we couldn't even necessarily like the girls couldn't even necessarily get the experience of, of, of what mass was, you know, which mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, and that just, just something even like that. Yeah. I mean, so definitely, yeah. I mean, it was harder in the sense that you're like, yeah, it, it kind of, I mean, it kind of spoiled Notre Dame in a way, I guess. And, and, and I will say teaching at, at that high school also kind of, it made my first year teaching here at Villanova a little bit hard in certain ways too, because hmm. again, I, I love my Villanova students. So this, I mean, you know, again, I'm, it's not like a critique on them, but <clears throat> I think, you know, when you realize the kind of intellectual, you know, you, you would think, oh, Villanova students, they're from the East Coast, you know, also I'm from a small town in Ohio. So maybe I also was like, oh, East Coast kids, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're gonna, and just my, my, my students that I taught in high school are realizing they're just as smart as the Villanova kids, mm-hmm. you know, but the standardized test scores they get, you know, the colleges they get into, 
on paper, you'd think the Villanova kids would be miles ahead of them, mm-hmm. you know, and to kind of just to see also just the, un, you know, the unfairness of it. Right. Yeah. I guess if that makes sense, you know, to just kind of like, wow, like my, the girls I taught in high school, like they could be here, they, they could be doing this, you know, but most of them don't really get the chance. So, you know, yeah. No, so I, yes, it, it, it made a lot of things harder, I guess, than, it, than they would have been. Yeah. And that, I mean, that makes sense to me thinking about my own students, a lot of whom are, you know, first generation in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, beyond, I mean, there, there are economic issues and all, and all that, but there's also just sort of a, they don't have the, the kind of support structure that yeah. I definitely grew up with. Sure. And the sort of, I, I don't know if expectations are the right word, but there's just sort of this assumption that, you know, like college was going to work out for me. And well, and it, I mean, it gives you, you know, certain self-confidence, right? Yeah. I mean, and there's all this other knowledge that, I feel like people who whose parents went to college have, you know, that just you don't even realize you have all this insider knowledge. Yeah, yeah. It's this yeah, it's this very like almost invisible confidence in a way. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it just isn't something that you think about, but it's the case. Yeah, totally. So a lot of your work in theology has been on questions and issues of race and white supremacy and anti black uh racism and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And Clearly, I mean, it sounds like, you know, both your upbringing and your volunteer experience and everything sort of fed into that and, and that interest in particular, I guess, I mean, I guess partly I want to, I'm curious more so as to like, what is it, what are the like, what are the sort Sorry. of like concepts or like, or like uh, parts of that discourse that really draw you in? Mm. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah, it it does. I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, in the terms of the things that yeah, well, say say more, say more. Yeah, because I mean, I could. Like I, I mean, some of it is like trying to think. I mean, think about like I. Well, I'll, I guess put it this way: like for me, uh, mm-hmm. when I like when I went to grad school, I I had one thing that I was interested in, and then this is a little nerdy, but like I read Paul Ricoeur, and it mm-hmm. like utterly shifted the things I was interested in. Sure. In a way sure. that I was entirely unprepared for. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sort of wondering if there was sort of an equivalent exp- like. Like oh right, yeah, yeah. Experience for you, or like I, I've been asked this question before, and I always say I need to like make up some dramatic story because, <laughs> like, of how you know, I don't know, like, like I said, I don't really know why I kind of had this interest, I guess, or this like passion for race, you know, not passion for racism. That's the opposite of what I mean, you right, know, right. Pa- passion for, <laughs> you know, anti-racism. I guess you'd say I don't know really know. I don't know where it came from. I mean, I think certainly. My hometown also, um, it's a small, small town in Ohio. It's like post-industrial relative to the places around it. It was, you know, racially diverse and Mm -hmm. I played sports. And so, you know, everywhere we went, we were, you know, we were either had too many black kids or, you know, too many poor white kids, you know, Mm -hmm. or we were too country or too that, you know, so that kind of, I guess, like also in a weird way made me think about, I guess, like racial difference, socioeconomic difference. I don't know. I don't really know. I don't really know why it came, but certainly it was during my, well, I guess it was during Amate House as well, but then, you know, think it was during my master's degree at the academic level. Actually, a friend said it to me once. We were like, I really getting coffee or something. And, and this friend was like, you know, you could study like racism at, and get your PhD. Like you could continue studying this. And mm-hmm. I just, I don't know why that moment I was just like, oh, wow. Okay. And that kind of opened up at the PhD okay. level. But certainly, I mean, you know, Unfortunately, you know, the experience of Amante House is like fading for me as, as you know, I've been out. I've, gosh, it's been over 10 years yeah. since I left, which is crazy to think about. But I mean, that experience, just making sense of it or just trying to to, I guess, bring it to 
the theological world, right? Like this, uh, this awareness or this reality. I guess that that's really what, I mean, it still drives me, but it's yeah. just, it's become more implicit now just because I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm just getting so far away, but I guess it was just the combination of, 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 of those experiences. And then, you know, realizing like as a quote unquote intellectual discourse that you could actually still pursue this interest. I don't know that, that, that moment was, I guess that was like the moment that was like, Oh wow. I could continue doing this at the PhD level. Okay. Which I don't know why I didn't even realize. I don't know. I don't know why that was like a revelation for me, but for some reason I just, I, I don't know. It just, you know, sometimes things are again, obvious in retrospect, but you yeah. need some, you need somebody or something to like open that possibility for you up in the moment. Yeah. And that's what that friend did for me. So, okay. Has your, yeah. if this is an unfair question, just tell me, but like, has okay. your, have you encountered a lot of suspicion as a white woman studying race or, like, I mean, were you supported right. very early on in it? Like, sure. Well, I mean, or both, I guess. Nobody, well, no, nobody to my face has been like, oh, I'm suspicious of you. But, you okay. know, people should be suspicious of me. You know, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know, I mean, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I would say, you know, mentors of color, you know, people, I would say in general, people are supportive. Mm hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would, I would say I would, I would certainly under, you know, I would certainly understand that. But at the same time, I, I think um, people, you know, that I varying relationships with in the academy, you know, that are like my elders in, mm -hmm. in, in this type of work tend to be very like supportive, not, not in a, oh my God, you know, not in a, not in a, oh wow, she's white. Let's just give her cookies because she's trying, you know, but in, in a true, you know, but in a yeah, truly yeah, way I where, you know, and in, in a way where they're, they're like challenging me, you know, and, and. Yeah, so 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 for the I I felt supported, but you know I I at the same time I only know what people you know yeah, yeah. say to me. So you know I mean who, who knows what people think? Yeah. And I I certainly wouldn't. I mean I think I think that's I mean and then that's that is like a something to to you know I go back and forth on. You know I mean there's on the one hand you could say this kind of work you know that that, that I'm like getting credit or you know you can think I'm like building my career on this type of work. There's something kind of perverse about that. You know on the one hand, but then the other hand it's like why do people of color you know, they should be the only ones doing this work, you know? So yeah, yeah. I just try to, I just try to be kind of, I don't know, honest with myself and open to critique and just kind of questioning myself and, you know, moving forward in the work, but at the same time, you know, recognizing that, you know, I, I, I might be hopelessly ethically compromised from the beginning, but at the same time, that's not an excuse to just not do anything, you know, you know what I mean? So that, yeah, that's yeah. kind of like the, that's kind of the tension that I try to attend to. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. I, I have a couple of thoughts that are what sort of drive that question for me. One, which is maybe not the, uh, the greatest comparison, but mm -hmm. I remember when I was finishing up my PhD coursework, having dinner with a senior theologian who, who told, I, I was telling, I was like, I'm interested in, you know, these couple of areas. And one of them was mm -hmm. ecclesiology. And, and what he said to me was, because you're a convert, you probably shouldn't do ecclesiology. Oh gosh. Uh, Cause there'd be like a certain suspicion of me, I guess. Okay. Um, and and like I was, I was irritated by it at the time. I, I don't regret that I like didn't really go mm -hmm. into ecclesiology, so it worked mm -hmm. out in a certain sense. But the like, there's a piece of that that sticks with me. Whereas like, what are the sort of unstated assumptions people are making about sure. and what they do? And then there's also, you know, there's the part of me that, especially in my teaching, like I try to think about. I, I, I think on one hand, you know, along with what you're saying that. A lot of scholars, especially scholars of color, would probably be very happy to see more white mm -hmm. people engaging with their work. Mm -hmm. And so I, I would not expect suspicion on that level. I would expect it mm -hmm. in some ways more from white people, mm. I guess. Oh, I see. Like, yeah. And I, I think 
like have this sort of moment I had where in my department there like a couple of years ago now I guess we were developing mm-hmm. a class on a, a graduate class on black catholic theology mm-hmm. and my my first thought was like would it be weird for me to teach this oh right yeah right <laughs> well yeah and and there is that sort of like yeah. latent assumption where it's mm-hmm. like if you're if you're teaching any kind of quote unquote contextual theology then you should be a member of that context but that's our, that's already assuming what contextual means in that case and but then there's the other side of me where it's like I don't want to I don't want to speak for someone else in a certain sense and so mm-hmm. I don't know it's mm-hmm. all a mess I don't I don't have an answer I yeah right and, and I think I think too yeah. like something at least one of the things I I I mean I'm I'm certainly not the first person to have this idea or this recognition but you know for me like white supremacy anti-blackness and theology you know i think another thing that can happen it becomes like a niche you know Mm -hmm. or it's like it's like there's like theology and then there's like these like special like topics Mm -hmm. you know but to just know theology you know you don't necessarily have to know these things but you know i think at least it's it's my contention that 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 these issues of you know you could do probably do gender you know feminism environmental stuff as well you know certainly white supremacy are are not just like topics or ethical issues mm-hmm. or political issues but actually are you know kind of pervade yeah the entire field you know so I think that's another yeah I mean yeah it's just I think it's just I don't know awareness humility I, I don't but I agree, I agree with you it's something that I don't know that I'm I I mean I think if I if I'm ever like feeling like, oh yeah, I'm like nailing it. I'm like doing everything right. You know, like that's probably, that's probably a sign that I'm, I mean, that kind of trepidation or that little bit of self-doubt or self-consciousness even, I think probably, I don't know, probably is good. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. I remember reading this thing for a class a couple of years ago that I was teaching off the top of my head. I, I don't remember who wrote it. I think it was, I think it was John Cashin actually, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Mm-hmm. But he was talking about the, you know, the seven deadly sins. And he was saying, it's like, you know, you can pretty much master like envy, like you can get that under mm. control and you can get wrath under control. But the second you think you have pride under control, it's got you. Right, okay. right. Yeah. And the moment I just said that, I heard Jim Keenan's voice in my head saying, you know, <laughs> it's it's the it's the places, you know, sin gets us. It's it's oh, gosh, I'm going to bungle the quotation. But basically his point was that, you know, it's, it's the things we think we're doing well that we're actually at the most risk for sin. So maybe the fact that I think, you know, that my, I'm being appropriately reserved and uncertain about being a white woman doing white supremacy stuff means that actually I'm, you know, in, in great danger of doing it wrong, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, yeah, you could just go, go around forever and ever, you know, but I, I think that's also why, I mean, hopefully it's tricky of course, because with this issue, you know, like the Academy is, you know, majority predominantly disproportionately white. But I mean, one, one of the the things about like our work ideally is that there's, there's like a communal response. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I can write whatever I want in theory, but ultimately how people receive it, you know, what, how they critique it, whether, you know, peer review process or just more informally, there's a kind of sense in which, you know, that will, that, that kind of will, will take care of itself, you know? So, I mean, I, so that's another thing, like I'm, I'm very, I care what everyone says, you know, I respect all of my colleagues and peers, but, you know, there's certain people, certainly, you know, what black scholars think, you know, and other people of color think in response to my work, like I, that's really important to me. You know, mm-hmm. there's certain, there's certain mentors that if, yeah. if they said, if they said, you're really out of line here, I mean, that would really like, that would, that would shake me. I would really take yeah. that seriously. So I guess there's like a certain freedom which again not that you don't be responsible but there's a recognition that like i'm i'm really not that important like even even it's something i write like it's it's going to go out there's other people are going to read it and and decide whether it's something that has value and should be you know c- carried on or whether it's 
a mess. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. So, yeah. and that is something I guess too, I, I try to like keep in mind, you know, I yeah. don't know. I wanted to ask you, you have in at least one of your biographies online, it says that uh, Tupac Shakur is your favorite. Oh, theologian. gosh. Right. Uh, yeah. And I, I wanted to ask about that. But I also I think in a way, I maybe have a larger question, which is, sure. I mean, I've seen in a lot of your writing, like real engagement with popular culture. Uh, okay, yeah. And yeah. seeing it as a theological source. So I, I also have that question as part of it. But Sure, because I mean, yeah, I know you do that as well. Yeah, the pop culture thing for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, so the Tupac, I do have a very, very, very fond spot for Tupac in my heart. <laughs> I mean, for lots of reasons, you know, which it's it's true, but I mean, partially, I I put that up there. I mean, to be a little bit, I don't know, to kind of bother certain people, yeah. which is maybe not the best thing to do, but it stands. I'm I'm leaving it up for now, you know. It works. But um, so. you know, but yeah, I, I I don't know. Do you want me to talk about like yeah? What say say more? What, yeah, what, I, what you would find interesting in that within that whole thing. I think part of it is, you know, like there's a there's this thing I see online a lot, especially about some some theologians are very dismissive of popular culture mm. as a, a, like a locus of theological reflection. Mm. And so, you know, like if someone taught a court like a, a course on, you know, whatever, like, pick, you know, you pick your favorite TV show or pick movies or whatever and use that sure. as a way of teaching theology. There's a certain like, oh, that's not serious work. That doesn't really count. Mm-hmm. And on, and then there's the other side of it, which is that, you know, like students who take these classes, it's like they're taking it because it's about, you know, I don't know, Breaking Bad or whatever. It's not, right, not right, a right. theology class, but I want to bring more pop culture into mm-hmm. my classes. And I, I, I guess I think about it a lot as a valuable site for theological reflection and, I guess to me, like as much as I understand the sort of, you know, putting Tupac as a way to, you know, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. put a thumb in the eye of some folks, sure. like there like there is a really valuable yes. ground being staked out in terms of at least and and this is I, I guess I'm just kind of going on a tangent in a sense, but mm-hmm. that one of the values of theology is that it's a very practical way to think for people in their daily lives and mm-hmm. keeping it in the sort of separated you know you have to know the canon kind of way like there's value in that to some extent but like the 99 percent of my students are never going to get into the canon and so right like if i want them to read confessions we'll definitely read confessions but there's mm-hmm. a lot i can make connections to that makes more sense to them so yeah sure know. yeah i know i mean i guess i guess i i look at you know quote-unquote pop culture i don't see it as any more or less theologically rich than any other yeah type of culture you know i mean like so yeah i i, I mean tupac there is i mean I, I truly love love tupac for lots of reasons even long before i started you know thinking of myself as a quote-unquote theologian but you know there's like there's just a lot of theological content in tupac but that's not oh that's not true of every every pop musician right yeah. you know i mean so yeah i mean i guess i mean i certainly try i, I try to you know, in, in my syllabus is I try to have different types of media. You know, I try to have, you know, like one one semester, Kendrick Lamar ha- had a interview in, in the New York Times where he he called himself like the the only preacher some of his listeners will, will ever know or like the best preacher or something like that, you know. And so I just had my students mm. listen to, um, I think it was to Pimp a Butterfly. I think that was the album that had just come out of his and say like, I don't remember exactly how I phrased the question, but like, is this I don't know, is, is he a theologian or, or is, you know, mm-hmm. what, where's the theological content in here, you know? So, <laughs> but, you know, you know, or something like that, you know, I don't remember how exactly, you know, how it was phrased, but, but, you know, that's Kendrick Lamar, right? Like I wouldn't sure. necessarily just be like anything. So it's, for me, it's kind of just, 
it, I guess it is like a method. I guess it is like, a, I guess a principle I have, but it's, it's not necessarily, you know, it's just if something speaks to me, right? So I guess it's just more like an openness to the possibility that there yeah. can be theological truth or at least theological questions in quote unquote unconventional sources. Although, you know, I think, you know, certainly like hip hop studies and theology is definitely like growing and, and getting more and more like, I guess, quote unquote conventional acceptance, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I guess it's more, it's more of just like an openness to the fact that, and, and, and again, I, you know, I mean, I, I would describe that. I mean, I think I was like a Thomist before I even knew who Thomas Aquinas was, you know, mm-hmm. that was kind of like, I guess the Catholic culture, that I was raised in that I didn't even know I was being raised in, you know, so that kind of like highly inductive, I guess the the notion that there should be this renunciation of the quote unquote world is something that it doesn't necessarily come natural to me, you know, so yeah. I guess it also plays on my own kind of biases or my own kind of formation is just kind of how I see the world. So yeah, yeah that's a good yeah. point. Like the sort of the Thomistic dimension of engaging culture as a, as a, yeah. State. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I remember a class one day where I, I used Megan Trainer to talk about uh, hermeneutics <laughs> nice. of suspicion, but I, <laughs> nice, I don't nice. What, I, what, I got to know what song or what, what was this like? It, what? Was, it was right when all about that bass was big. Okay. Uh, okay. And I, I was trying to get them to think about like, you know, what is revealed, what is concealed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like that, like that song had literally like just hit big when I was, when <laughs> so it was in my, it was in my so head. You're, you were on the cutting edge. Oh yeah, yeah. And, of the culture, and it, yeah. And that reference never worked in another semester, uh, <laughs> which, is the, <laughs> right. which is the challenge in teaching this stuff. So. Well, that, that's the other thing too. Honestly, too, is I just feel like pop culture is just getting away from me. Like I've I've aged out. Like, yeah. it, it, and that's the other thing too. That I mean, like Tupac. I mean, unfortunately, you know, he passed away over twenty years ago. You know yeah. what I mean? So, I'm. I feel like that's. I mean, something that as I get older, I'll probably do more and more poorly just because um <laughs> you know I, I feel like i'm i'm already like even just from the time i first started teaching here like i, I just i don't know as much i'm not as in touch you know so yeah and uh, so then i'll just become like you know a parody of the professor who's like trying to be cool but it's not yeah, yeah. remotely i mean probably already already there but you know it'll just get worse yeah my i i think about this every time i read someone talk about babette's feast Mm, right and like as as great as it is for the like the ideas that are in it like Mm -hmm. none of my students have ever seen it and i I can show it to them like i mean it's not that that's an unsolvable problem but this is it's not like it's not in any of their repertoire (laughs) right 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 yeah and i also i also feel like i mean maybe even more than professors you know or teachers and generations before us just because i feel like you know when i was growing up probably you too i mean we're not that we're not that for a part in age, you know, yeah. it was like there was like MTV and like BET, you mm-hmm. know, or something, you know, or VH1, and it was like there was a, I guess a, a, a smaller canon of of yeah. songs, so to speak. And yeah. I feel like maybe because you know because of the internet, I just even feel like it's it's not even just a matter of it's I don't know, you know, things are maybe more diffuse or something. So it's even if I wanted to like read up on what's hip, I, I feel yep. like I don't even know if I'm looking at the right sources or something. Yeah, you know? I had a student who over I think over Thanksgiving. They said they went to three concerts and they named all three. And I like yeah. legitimately had no idea what yeah. any of it was. No, that's, yep. That's and, me. That's me as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've aged out. Through a loss. So. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I wanted to ask one other question before uh, coming to the closing. Sure. Uh, which was, you are the founder or one of the founders of the Women in Theology blog, which is, seems to still be going strong after like nearly 10 years. And I wanted to ask maybe a little bit in terms of like, what was the inspiration for it? And also, what do you think 
Like, what do you think the the gifts of that working on that blog have been for you? So I guess technically speaking, I wasn't like a founder founder. I think I'm trying to remember exactly. I don't want to name names because I feel like I'm going to leave someone out. But but I feel like I feel like perhaps like Megan McCabe and Julia Fetter were and maybe Elizabeth Antis were founders founders. And then, you know, they asked me to be on it, you know, kind of as it was like launching. Mm -hmm. And I think so I wasn't in on the original kind of genius or brainstorming session but for, for them i think i think they were and bridget o'brien might have been in on that too I, i'm just gonna say all say all the names just to make sure but i, I think they were very <laughs> we we all had known each other at notre dame some of some of them had been you know first year phd some of us were second year masters first year masters and i think really kind of inspired by um Kathy Hilkert, who's a professor mm. uh, at, Notre, at Notre Dame. And I think she, I think the story is that she, you know, back in the day had been a part of something where they called themselves wit women in theology or something, mm. or, or something like that. And so then my, my friends chose then that to kind of honor them, you know, those, that kind of first mm-hmm. pioneer, you know, the first generation of Catholic women who are getting PhDs, you know, Kathy Hilkert's generation, but, you know, certainly like Lisa, the Lisa Cahill, you know, Margaret Farley, you know, all, all those, even though they're not quite all the same age. So that was kind of like the, I guess, the inspiration for that. And certainly at the time, I mean, blogs are also, I guess, I feel like blogs are not as much of a thing as they yeah. were when that started, you know? Yeah. But certainly I feel like when when we started doing that, like blogs were a, kind of a, a big deal, at least, you know, among we nerds who liked theology, you know? <laughs> I mean, not that people don't still read them, you know, but I, I feel like, you know, that it's there's the, the, there's been a shift. They're not there as... Seemed as to be, there seemed to be a lot more excitement about it, like seven years yes. ago. Yeah. yeah. And it, that, that moment has definitely like passed on, but at the same time, you know, and the membership has changed. Some of our original founding members, you know, aren't with the blog yet. So we've got new people, you know, we've kind of had different, maybe three, three generations of people, but for me, gosh, with the gifts a lot, well, especially at the beginning, because it grew, it grew out of like actual friendships, right. you know, and that was, that was just really neat. Not that I don't have fond feelings for the women who are on it now, but it's, you know, we, we have, it's, it's, we've, I, I know those women because of the blog, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't, we don't necessarily. So, I mean, that's a, a different change or that's a change, but also I guess that was one of the real big gifts. I guess also getting to know some of the women that like I wasn't friends with before the blog, just building new relationships. I mean, I think even just from like a practical standpoint, I think learning how to write a blog, mm. uh, it was just a good practice of, of how to, I don't know, be succinct or, you know, try to get away from academic jargon, you know, now whether I do that well or not, but you know, that's certainly something I tried to practice. Even just like writing for an an audience, I guess, and getting feedback. I mean, again, you know, the comment sections can sometimes be, especially (laughs) back then, a hot mess, but at the same time, you know, there was like a feedback that you'd get, you know, which was, and also, I guess it kind of, I guess it gave me like confidence or, you know, it made you have to have some courage, I guess, because I think, to actually put an idea out there, you know, mm-hmm. just get it out there, you know, I don't know. So I guess from a, that, that kind of practical standpoint, it was important for me, you know, for my formation, I guess, as like a writer, um, as a thinker. Yeah. So I guess just like the relationships, both like the pre-existing friendships and the women I've gotten to know since, and I guess just the, the experience of, of, you know, you know, okay, you have an afternoon, write this in an afternoon, you know what I mean? Like, rather than like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to anguish over this. And, and, and I don't know. So, yeah. And so I, you know, it's hard to know that the future of it, but it is something that, you know, I would like to keep going. I haven't been giving it as much energy lately as it deserves, but it's, it's definitely something I want to keep going in one, one way or another. No, I understand. I mean, for, I mean, our own blog, like has to some extent petered out a little bit 
Mm-hmm. And I think there's still interest in sustaining it, but it, it, it like, yeah, a lot of the excitement that was there early yeah. on is sort of gone. And in like, I mean, even for me, I like podcasting. Like I like doing this a lot, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but the actual writing is less and less sort of attractive to me. Yeah. In a certain sense. And so, well, it is, it becomes a, I've noticed in myself the past few years, it becomes like a, it's like a feedback loop because you see mm-hmm. that the, the energy positive or negative from the readers is not there. Yeah. So then it kind of takes your own energy away. Cause you're kind of like, you know, what's the, you know, you kind of get that, like, what's the point or you don't, you know, you don't feel as much of an incentive to, to, to put that work in. Right. So, yeah. but I don't know, you know, I don't know. So I think also to like people, you know, as, as we're like getting older, people have moved on to, you know, people can write for, you know, America or Commonweal, you know, mm-hmm. other kind of venues like that. So I think that also, I think taken uh, just because of, I think where some of us are in our careers and our lives, like taking some of the energy out. Right. Because, yeah, um, well, and you know, there's like a bigger audience. Yeah. And a lot of these, I mean, did start when we were grad students. And so we exactly. Know, uh, right. The outlets that we do now. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. It's yes. Uh, yes. I mean, there's some extent to which I think some of the things that I would in the past have worked out as a blog post are end up being things I work out in class with students. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. And then I don't always go back to, you know, write and publish it. And so. Mm, yeah. 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 That's a good point. And also just the coursework. I mean, you're just encountering so many different things. I feel like my, in a sense, my thought process has narrowed in terms of what I'm thinking about too. So I think that also provides less yeah. fodder for blog. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. Alas, but no, it was, it was I mean, it was one, I mean, it was, absolutely wonderful to be a part of it and still be a part of it for sure. Good. Uh, So as I wrap up, I have a few, what I call less serious questions for a closing questionnaire. So so there are five of these. All right. So number one, are you more of a coffee person or a tea person? Uh, Definitely a coffee person. I definitely, I I love tea, but I'm also basically just like a caffeine junkie. My body just, I I don't know. I don't think I have enough like receptors. So I just drink (laughs) tons, tons of caffeine. So so that's why coffee for the win. Yeah. Would, would you fall apart without it? I mean, pro- yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. And I, I, I have some experience of that. You know, I had uh, I, pseudo medical reasons. I had to set about a three three month time period where I had to severely curtail my caffeine intake, mm-hmm. and it was, yeah, it was it was it was a misery for sure. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Number two, what is the best thing that you have read lately? Oh gosh, the best thing I've read lately. Could I mean could be books, yeah. could be a news article, whatever. Oh, wow. Okay. Actually, I think I've tried to make a commitment to reading more novels lately. And so I discovered this English author. I think she's English as opposed to British, just, or, you know, uh, named Pat Barker. And she wrote this trilogy, like this regeneration trilogy about soldiers who kind of had what we would call post-traumatic stress disorder after World War One. And then that led me to, what was it called? It's called The Silence of the Girls. And it's like a, a retelling of of the Iliad from the perspective of, of one of, Oh gosh, what's his name? I'm blanking. The the hero Achilles is like basically sex slaves. Uh, oh, it was a woman. Uh, and it's like, it, it was amazing. I can't, I I'll totally even forget. I yeah. don't, I That's don't remember, the but movie, it, which is, yeah, yeah. But it was, it, yeah. it was amazing. So okay. I guess all those four books, Pat Barker. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Number three, what is a guilty pleasure TV or movie for you? Oh my God. Well, I am like a TV junkie, although I have a, one and a half year old. So it's been a lot of Daniel Tiger lately. <laughs> yeah. A lot of Daniel Tiger, which is quality, but I'm trying to think my favorite. Oh my gosh. Favorite guilty. I have so many TV guilty pleasures. I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I can get into the housewives, you know, I can mm-hmm. get, Oh my gosh. Oh, Oh, I, I love the like, um, Oh, like sister wives on TLC, you know, or like mm-hmm. all the, the, like, you know, people that have uh, different 
you know, ways of life or, you know, I mean, pretty much anything. I mean, I, I really can, could watch. Like, especially like reality TV. TV. Yeah. That's probably like the guilty pleasure. Yeah. I don't think like, I don't watch, I don't think I watch too many like guilty pleasure, like scripted shows, but yeah. oh yeah, I, I, I'm pretty much a connoisseur of reality TV. I'd say. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Number four, what is your favorite or your least favorite liturgical song? Oh gosh. Favorite or least favorite, favorite or favorite. And you can do both. I mean, I don't really, I'm not really, I mean, I I guess I I don't have just like the refined aesthetic taste to really, I I don't really hate too much on liturgical songs. Mm -hmm. I don't know. This is like kind of, I feel like very vulnerable because this is, I don't feel like I'm really putting myself out there. I don't, okay. I'm going to say this is not really based upon aesthetic. It's because when I was a child, this was the song that you know they we play particularly at our school masses that I don't just really spoke to me. I, I'll say, "Here I am, Lord." Okay, and, you know, it's that. That's what I say. It's my favorite. That's a good one. You can really like cool. it's, it's one you can really belt. So, and yeah, I, I don't know. It just it spoke to me. Yeah. It spoke to my child, my child soul. So I'll, I'll stick with that. Okay, one. good. And last one: of whom or of what would you be the patron saint? Oh gosh, well I'm probably nothing. Honestly, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> It's good I'm not have, sure. It's good to have goals, though. <laughs> yeah, good to have goals. Oh my gosh! Wow, that's like, I don't know. So, I don't know. The, the I, I don't know. Like, there's a you know patron saint of lost things. How about the the patron saint of people who always lose things and can never find them? How about that? All right, that totally. That, that's works. what I'd be. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, Katie, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. The Daily Theology Podcast was produced this week by me, Stephen Oki. The music for the podcast was created by Matt Hines of the band Eastern Sea. Maybe go listen to them next. Thanks again to Ellen Stewart for the new logo design for the podcast, and to Fiverr, who brought us together. If you like the podcast so much you would like to support us with a few dollars, go over to patreon.com slash dtpodcast. These pledges help us cover the cost of hosting the show. Of course, if you want to know more about faith-seeking understanding and everyday life, head on over to our website, dailytheology.org, our Facebook page, Daily Theology, or our Twitter feed, at Daily Theo.